The subject of thankfulness, we're in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. In Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son teaches us, and, and, and this is new to me, I'm just starting to look at what these chapters have an individual, if these chapters have individual messages to the disciples, or to me in particular. And the prodigal son teaches us, teaches me, that God's love and plan for our lives is far better than anything the world can offer us. Now, I see, I didn't get the me out of that one. We are, we, are, uh, we are better off being a servant in God's house than the master of the pig pen. And that's something we need to learn, that we're better off being nothing in God's house than we are kings in the world. And, and that will come to fruition and be very visible in time. You just can't see it yet. Uh, in Luke chapter 16, the unjust steward teaches us that we need to be responsible with the money that God has given us. That's what it's about. God will hold us accountable for our faithfulness. There's no doubt about that. And it involves our faithfulness with money as well. Uh, Luke 17 on forgiveness last week, Jesus tells us that although we will find ourselves in situations where we offend others and others will offend us, we must, we must forgive those who have offended us in the same way that I have been forgiven by God. And the one thing that, yeah, I remember we had a, we had a guy at, uh, at Hatchie Baptist Church who took great offense at me one time. And uh, I, I didn't, well, to this day, don't think that what I said was offensive, but it's because his daughter and his grandson were involved. Uh, he took great, great offense at me, and he was beyond himself with anger, got up and stormed out. And, uh, and he was really one of the elders of the church. He wasn't designated a deacon, uh, but he was very influential in the church. And he uh, happened, as uh, things tend to happen to us when we're Christians, to be at a, a revival service where the guy preached the entire sermon was on the fact that if you don't forgive others, God can't forgive you. And uh, we, we had gone away that week for a few days to Dolly World or something. And we were living in Tennessee and my sister was visiting. Of course, a crisis happens when your family's visiting. But uh, I forget where we were. It was something like Dolly World outside of Nashville. Anyway, when we got back on Thursday or Friday, he was there on the front porch apologizing to me and asking my forgiveness. He understood the principle. It's true. We have to forgive one another. We cannot hold grudges and expect God to forgive us. Well, today we've got a new lesson uh, along the idea of discipleship. Now he wants us also to be thankful. It's in the same chapter that we're in right now. There's a guy, uh, Chuck Hurdle is his name, and I don't think there's any chance he'd ever hear this, uh, this message. But uh, Chuck Hurdle wears a vest like a motorcycle this would wear. Although I don't think he's ever ridden a motorcycle. He's ex-Navy, very clearly and proudly a veteran, and uh, been through an incredible amount of problems. Uh, his first wife died, and I don't know why, and he's been very sick for much of his life, and his second wife now has diabetes and has been in the hospital an awful lot lately. And uh, the, uh, the in that rainstorm, I think it was last week, I want to say Thursday or Friday, in that rainstorm, he couldn't see, and he pulled out of the, um, the Walmart parking lot and hit dead center on his front bumper one of those concrete pylons that, that market, and just, 
I don't know. He said $10,000 worth of damage. I guess that didn't total the car. Most of my cars, 10000 and they're total. But uh, uh, he, he said the parts are ordered and not expected to be in, and they won't be able to work on it until the second week of January. And yet the thing about Chuck Hurdle is, I mean, he's, he's a faithful servant. He goes to Washington Baptist Church in Washington, Vermont, and uh, he's faithful there. He, I don't think he's an elder there or a deacon, but he's, uh, he preaches often for that church when the pastor's out of town. But the thing that strikes you about him the most is if you ever ask him, Chuck, how are you doing? He'll always say, I'm too blessed to be depressed. And uh, if we had his life, we'd probably be depressed. But he, he always finds a way to give the thanks back to God. And I notice I follow him on Facebook or we're friends on Facebook. And every morning he starts off with a prayer for us, you know, to all God's children. And it's always a prayer of praise for God's people. And it's always a little uplifting to, uh, to read his prayers. And I, I really thank God for Chuck and for his ability to demonstrate to me um, that's not my character. You've probably noticed that with me. Uh, my character is not get knocked down and thank God that I'm, I'm on the ground and have no further to fall. You know. Now, thankfulness is, doesn't appear to be a fruit of the Spirit. It probably is a result of the Spirit's indwelling. It's certainly the result of a life totally changed for the better by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I, when I read our passage today about this, 10 lepers that are cleansed, um, it says it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem. Now, you remember he's over in um, Perea? I'm not maybe saying that wrong that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. So I pulled up another map that's a little harder to see, at least on my screen. Oh, it's much better on yours. The red lines, I believe, represent the commonly traveled roads in Jesus' day. And oh, I meant to put a battery in this. I brought a battery and forgot to put it in. Well, you can see where Perea is, and you can see the, the red line that goes up towards Sychar, Jacob's well, that's Samaria, right? And then you can see the main route down to Jerusalem on the left, uh, that would be the west side of the mountain as they go on down. And Jameson Fawcett Brown felt that, uh, they felt that that's the reason he went the way he did. And I don't know why he went the way he did. I, I pulled up a topographical map. And if you look at the area topographically, you can see you, you don't just go from one point to the next. Uh, you, you, there is a does this one have it? No, it must be the previous one. It has a blue line where it looks like you could cut a shortcut, but the blue lines are rivers or creeks. So if you're going to get over those mountains, you have to go on a, a well-beaten path. So it's possible that the only reason he went from Perea all the way... Is it? Let me back up. I'm, I don't feel like I'm saying the name of that town correctly. It is Perea. Holy cow. The brain is not completely dead yet. So he went from Perea, uh, but we don't know what town he left from in Perea. And then he went over uh, towards Samaria and in between Samaria and, and Galilee. And we don't know. It doesn't, he doesn't say what town, what town he went to. And maybe, maybe it didn't even matter to Luke by the time he heard this story. Uh, I don't know. And he entered a certain village where he met ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. That's what they're supposed to do. 
in Leviticus, uh, there's a lot of instructions in chapter 13 of Leviticus on what to do with leprosy. And all the days wherein the plague shall be in him, talking about leprosy, I didn't pull in a bunch of other verses around it, so you'll have to trust me. He shall be defiled. That means he can't go to church. He is unclean. That means he can't be around other people. And he shall dwell alone. Outside the camp shall be his habitation be. And these guys, these guys are following the law. Uh, they, they, uh, they're doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, they're keeping their distance. Now, uh, we'll see in a minute. Uh, another guy they, they apparently stumbled upon. Um, but these men are following the law of Moses. Uh, so these ten kept their distance, lifted up their voices, and hollered over to Jesus. Uh, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Now, there's a couple of things about that I want you to see. He didn't call them to himself as he has done in the past, possibly because there were a crowd of people around him, possibly because he wanted to demonstrate the fact that he doesn't have to be standing right next to us to heal us. All he has to do is be, say, be cleansed, and it's done. He doesn't have to come down from heaven and touch us. All he has to do is say a word, which was characteristics of his healing. He can seemingly do it, do it, heal any way he wants to, to anyone he wants to, doesn't seem to have to struggle at all in the process. You know, the, the, the Pharisees were always getting him in trouble saying you're doing work on a Sunday. And you watch Jesus heal people and you almost say, what work? What work? All he did is say a word. And, and the deaf hear and the blind see and the, uh, the lame walk and, and the dead rise from the dead at a word. Now, there are times, yeah, I know that he used a little mud here and some clay and he actually unbelievably actually spit in one, sky, one guy's eye, and you wonder, what was that about? And uh, I don't know. I don't know. It would be a good question for him if you dare to ask it when you finally meet him. You know, hey, Lord, why did you spit in that guy's eye? I, I don't think. Anyway, when the last time Jesus was confronted by a leper, a leper in Luke is chapter 5. And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face, Full of leprosy it means everywhere you looked, you saw leprosy, and he was probably covered covered in rags, and he probably didn't smell too good. And it said, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus, fell on his face, and besought him, saying, Lord, if you wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus could have said, I will be thou clean, but he didn't do that. In this case, Luke chapter 5, he put forth his hand and touched him. And I love the way they portrayed that in the movie, the in the series, The Chosen, where all the disciples are going, no, no, don't touch him, he's a leper. Don't you know what you're doing? You know, it's like, no, no. Yeah. And Jesus is thinking, oh, no, boys, I didn't know what I was doing. Sorry. You know, it's like it's ridiculous. You think the Lord doesn't know what he's doing? But he touched the guy. And he said, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. What an experience that must have been. That was early in his ministry, and we have this next verse that says, <clears throat> excuse me, and he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing according to Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now apparently Jesus wanted to keep his notoriety, I don't want to say the word secret, but he didn't want to make a big splash in Luke chapter 5. He didn't want mobs of people following them around at that time. But by the time we get to this passage, 
uh, he, uh, he's, he's moved on and is a very public figure and there's no hiding it anyway. Uh, nevertheless, he does tell these ten, uh, even though they're hollering across the field at each other, and he tells them, uh, did I skip it? Hmm. Oh, it was back there. Yeah, let me back up. Luke 17. I should have repeated that verse. I'm sorry. Right at the end, uh, verse 14. And when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priest. So I picture this as partly across the field. Uh, it, they're supposed to be at least, I think it was 150 feet away, which is what, uh, 50 yards. Uh, he had was supposed to be about 50 yards away. And he hollered at them. He said, go show yourselves to the priest, which is exactly what he told the guy he had laid hands on who he had healed, which is what you're supposed to do when you're healed because the, the priest can declare you clean. I think he waits seven more days and he examines the guy again. If he's still clean, he declares the guy clean. And as a result, he can come back into the community, uh, which even though, you know, theoretically they didn't understand germs, but they understood that leprosy spread by close contact. They may not have understood what a germ was, but they certainly understood that these diseases spread by close contact. Anyway, it says, and as they went, the, the leper that he touched was healed instantaneously. But these ten, when they turned to go, I have to imagine when the, when the Samaritan turned to go, he's thinking, where will I go? Uh, what, what temple would I go to? You know. But the, as, as they turned to go to a temple, and I don't know which one they would go to, whether they would go all the way down to Jerusalem or whether they would find something more local, uh, as they turned to go, then they were cleansed. Let me catch back up to where we were. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. And with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And then Luke adds, and he was a Samaritan. Only one returns to thank Jesus and give praise to God for his healing. And Luke adds the fact, and he was a Samaritan. We could argue that all nine Jews were doing exactly what they were told. I mean, Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. They may have wanted to turn back. Their hearts might have been filled with praise. We don't know. Uh, we don't know what they were thinking. Uh, but they were trained in the letter of the law. And in a way, there's a little bit of a hazard of being trained in the letter of the law. And that is the law tends to kill, destroy our ability to be truly thankful. If we're not careful, true obedience to the law is good. I'm not saying to be lawbreakers. I'm just saying that we have to be careful that in the process of obeying all the rules that it is involved in being a Christian, there's only one, which is love Christ, love God with all your heart and all your mind, and then love your neighbors yourself. So I guess there are two. But in all the rules that we attempt, that we make for ourselves in order to be good Christians, we don't lose our thankfulness. You know, if we're worried about getting to church on time or we're worried about what we'll do tomorrow or we're worried about who we're going to witness to, as Linda's talking about, or we feel guilty about not getting a witness done, if it's not careful, we lose the thankfulness we have for what the Lord had done in our life. And one of the things you notice about new believers, and I remember Mark particularly, uh, a new believer, uh, and I remember back to those days when I was a brand new believer, we were so full of enthusiasm and excitement and thanksgiving to God that he'd changed our lives so completely, we couldn't keep it quiet. And if we're not careful, all our involvement in church with other people and all the things that we get involved doing, they tend to deaden us a little bit. And Paul warns us about that because he says, 
He said, the letter kills, but the Spirit giveth life. And if, if we're not careful. If we, if we start making it like I did in the early days, trying to make myself my own Ten Commandments, uh, it, it doesn't work. It just it turns us cold and dead. Now, I don't want to say these nine were cold and dead. For all I know, they were doing cartwheels all the way to the... Uh, I mean, we don't know that. I'm, I'm just... The, the only thing I notice is that Jesus comments on it. And because he commented on it, it makes me think he was a little bit somehow disappointed. Anyway, this is why God tells us in everything. And, and, and that is in, in the Zoom that won't start, you know, and in, and in the battery that's dead, and in the, and in the snowstorm that's predicted for next Friday, and in, in, in the last doctor's visit, and everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This is to be characteristic of a disciple's life is thankfulness. And if we're not careful, we end up being like the Pharisee. I say, I thank you, I'm not like that sinner over there, you know. I tie this, I do this, I do that, and blah, 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 blah. I'm, I'm this wonderful guy. And if we're not careful, we can end up with that grumpy Grinch instead of a thankful Christian. And I, I was born a grumpy Grinch, so it's, it's a natural uh, characteristic of mine. Now the question is, did it matter to Jesus? And I get the impression that it did. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? So, I don't know, did he expect them to come back? Uh, probably not. He's probably just losing this, using this situation as an opportunity to teach. I, I don't. I really don't want to say anything against the other nine, uh, at all. They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. Now Jesus emphasizes the fact that this guy isn't a Jew. Now he's actually a Samaritan, which means he's half Jewish, but Jesus calls him a foreigner. You know, I read this as if he was a little bit disappointed that the nine didn't come back, or he wanted to emphasize the point that thankfulness is appreciated by God. He hears our praise. And he wanted these disciples to take note that the one who did return was a Samaritan, was a foreigner. And, and I know that he's laying the groundwork for what Paul will ultimately do, which is take the gospel to the Gentiles. Actually, Paul and Peter. Uh, Peter to the Samaritans and Paul to the Gentiles. But the gospel will be better received in the hearts of Gentiles than they will in the hearts of Jews who for a thousand years have struggled to keep the law. Late in his ministry, he wants the disciples to see that. Because in a little while, not long from now, they're going to be driven out of their homes and they're going to live in Gentile lands. So they're going to be the stranger. You know. And he says to this guy, arise, um, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. The Greek word is sozo. There's an awful lot written about this one sentence here in commentaries. Now, I don't know. Maybe the Samaritan wasn't comfortable walking into a Jewish synagogue at least maybe not in that area. Maybe he could have turned north because he was right on the border and gone into Samaria, and maybe then he could have, uh, could have found a priest there. I don't know. He, he, uh, 
he had fallen prostrate on the ground. And I often think that's the proper position with which to address the Lord Jesus Christ. That means he laid flat out on the ground, face down in the dirt, which is what we will all do when we see Jesus that first time, I think. Every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you can bet that when Jesus told him to rise, he rose with a heart filled with gratitude towards Jesus. We don't know how long he was sick. We don't know anything about his family. We don't know anything about the work that he used to do or the life that he used to have. But you can bet his life had changed. Just like when I met Jesus that day, you can bet my life changed. The trajectory of our lives changed the moment we came face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ and he saved us. And you can bet that's the case with this guy. Now, Jameson Fawcett Brown are, are commentators and, and they suggest that the fact that Jesus said to this guy, thy faith hath made thee whole indicates that he was not only healed of leprosy, but he was also saved. And there's an awful lot written on this. And I don't know if I buy into it or not. I, I was going to share it all with you. And this morning when I was sitting at the computer, I just deleted it all because I thought, we don't know. We don't know what Jesus meant with that. He used the word in many different ways. The woman who was healed of the issue of blood, he told her that faith has made thee whole. But the word means to be healed and it also means to be saved. But it isn't the word saved. So you wonder, you don't know. So rather than getting a big discussion here, uh, I, I don't think... It's important. I think whether or not Jesus is saying you're saved, I think the guy will be saved as soon as Jesus dies and is resurrected and this man understands what Jesus had done for him. But I also believe that's true for the nine, whereas uh, some would say the other nine, because they weren't thankful, weren't saved. I, I don't think you can be healed of terminal cancer miraculously by God and then ignore that fact. Uh, I, I don't think that's possible. And th this, this disease they have was a terminal disease. So I have to believe that all 10 of them were following the career of Jesus pretty closely after this day, regardless of whether they returned and were thankful as Jesus had hoped, or like the Samaritan did, or, or not. Uh, you know, the Bible mentions the word gratitude 157 times. And I was hoping it would be exactly half of 365 because then it would be cool. Because the Bible mentions fear not 365 times uh, in the Bible. And that means every day in the Bible, there's a verse for me to fear not for the entire year. I can go all year with a different verse on fear not. I think that's cool. So I also think it would be cool if 157 were half of 365, but it's not. Uh, it's close, but it's not. Yeah. Uh, but the Bible is specific, and I just thought I'd close out with sharing, uh, sharing some verses with you um, that the Bible says to us about thankful, thankfulness. You know, I, I've been a grumbly Grinch my whole life. Uh, I, I can find everything that's wrong with the situation, and this is unnatural for me uh, to be thankful. Uh, if Chuck Hurdle says to me, how are you doing, Bob? I'm, well, I'm not in as much pain as I was yesterday, you know. <laughs> yeah. Bah, humbug, you know. Uh, be careful for nothing, Paul writes. The word means anxious. Anxiety is a constant problem of mine. 
uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. 157 times God tells us to be thankful. Let your requests be made known unto God. And of course, you know the next verse, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The word keep there, I'm told, is a word that describes umpire or guard. And, and God will send his angels to stand guard over our hearts when we come to him in thanksgiving. Colossians uh, chapter 4 and verse 2. Continue in prayer, watch in the same. I guess it means watching the same prayer with thanksgiving. Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. I, I think every verse in that uh, psalm speaks of our thankfulness. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, and let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which ye also are called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful. Remember what we have to be thankful for. You know, it's Christmas. And I'm so busy worrying about what in the world to get Linda. And what in the world to do about this. And what in the world to do about that. And how to get these stupid lights up. So everybody knows, you know, we love Christmas. You know. Be thankful. Take a few minutes out of Christmas and just thank God. That he broke through eternity and came down and saved us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. What a great verse. First Timothy. I exhort thee, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. That's getting harder and harder to do for our kings and for all that are in authority, isn't it? And yet we are commanded to do this. That we may lead quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. So why is Thanksgiving so important? Psalm 50 says, Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay the vows unto the, pay thy vows unto the Most High. Offer thanksgiving and keep your promises. Right? It's not making a, a work out of this, but if you say you're going to do something, do it. If you promise God, Lord, if you get me out of this foxhole alive, I'll do this, this, and this, then do it. Pay your vows. If you say, Lord, if, if, if you'll save my son, I'll do this. If you make a vow, keep it. That's all it's saying. Offer to God that thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. And I love this last verse, and that's I chose to stop here. And call upon me in the day of trouble. Well, we're there. And I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the love that you've shown us through the cross of Jesus Christ. By allowing your son to come to earth and take on human form and being found in fashion of a man humbling himself and becoming obedient to the cross. 
even Jesus who died for our sins. And we thank you for that, Father. And in this Christmas season, we are going to remember this year to be thankful for all that you've done for us, all the gifts and good things that you've provided us through these years that we've walked with you. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.